0: and laughs. Theater of the Mind. The best love programs from radio's golden age. Only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you. Fibber McGee and Molly were a real-life husband and wife team. Real names, Jim and Mary Jordan. Five days after they were married... Jim received his draft notice and was sent to France. He became part of a military touring group that entertained the troops after World War I. After coming back, he and Mary decided to try their luck with vaudeville. Two of the shows they did for a radio in Chicago bore traces of what was to become and rank as one of the earliest forms of situation comedy. But that was in 1927. Let's fast forward to 1942 and the episode, Fibber's Old Straw Hat.
2: Save what you have, conserve, make what you have do a little longer. That's the watchword nowadays. And the master of 79 Wistful Vista is not one to violate a national policy. So here, gazing speculatively at his last year's straw hat, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. McGee, what on earth
3: are you going to do with that straw hat?
4: What do you suppose I'm going to do with it? I'm going to wear it.
3: Well, now, isn't that carrying conservation to extremes? Why, it looks terrible.
4: Well, I'll either wear this this summer or I'll wear that checkered golf cap.
3: Oh, no, no. No, not that, dearie, not that. Okay.
4: So I'll wear this. What do they charge to clean a straw hat?
3: Oh, 50 or 75 cents ordinarily. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think they'd make a special rate of $4. <laughs> Why, well,
4: I can get a new one for two ninety-five.
3: Well, that's what I was hinting at in my delicate way.
4: Well, I'm not going to do it. The government wants us to conserve, and by the million merry men of the mighty MacArthur, I'm going to conserve. Well,
3: when you get through with that miracle, you might take a minute off and invent a shower curtain that won't slap you in the face when your back is turned. <laughs> and vice versa.
4: <laughs> you that in. Now, don't worry. I can make this hat look like you. We got any art gum?
3: Now, listen, cleaning that thing with art gum would be like bombing Tokyo with confetti.
4: (laughs) Well, doggone it, what do you use to clean a straw hat?
3: Well, if everybody knew that, what would the people do uh, who clean them for a living?
4: Okay, okay, I'll find a way. I'll bet the drugstore has got a preparation that'll clean straw hats. Give me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Kramer's Drugstore on the corner of Mert. Is that you? (laughs) How's every little thing, Mert? It is, eh? What's that, Mert? Your uncle. Smashed his face and broke one of his hands.
3: Oh, what's the matter, McGee? Did he drop his watch?
4: Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mert. Nah, she guessed it right off. <laughs> what's that, Mert? Okay, I'll call later.
3: <laughs> Say, look, dearie, I don't think the government would care if you threw that hat away and got another one. If you wear this one, it'll be bad for morale. Whose? Mine.
4: Well, I'm sorry. I've made up my mind to clean this hat. And by the merry mighty men No, I said that. <laughs> you know what I've made you know when I've made up my mind.
3: <laughs> Indeed I do, precious boy. You're about as flexible as a poker. <laughs> and just as busy as turning things up. <laughs>
4: I got character. All us McGees have got that old persistence me. We follow through. When we start something, we finish.
3: You don't say. Sir. Sure. How about that chip and the bottle you started to carve in the spring of 1928?
4: I got my finger stuck in the neck of the bottle and had to bust it. <laughs> I couldn't go through life waving a three-masted schooner at people, could I? Oh,
3: I don't know. It might give you a little individuality. People would say, you know Fibber McGee. He's the man with the sloop on his pinky. <laughs>
4: well, gee where's a fella can't always just... Hey, we got any peroxide? I think so. What for? I bet I can clean my straw hat with that. It's a bleach, ain't it?
3: Well, yes, I think it is. But I never heard of anybody cleaning a hat with it.
4: Well, I'm going to try it anyway. What can I lose?
3: Well, you can lose a hat. And I can lose a bottle of peroxide. But go ahead now. Where would the steamboat be today if Eli Whitney hadn't invented the cotton gin, is what I always say. (laughs) I'll go get you the peroxide, dearie.
4: Where would the steamboat be today if Eli Whitney... Whitney didn't invent the steamboat, what'd the cotton gin have to do with the steamboat if... Well, of course, they carried cotton in steamboats, but if Fulton hadn't... But Fulton didn't invent the cotton gin. That was Whitney. So if the steamboat had gun it, I wish Molly had get her facts straight. I can't sit around here all day. Come in.
5: Hi, mister.
4: What you doing? Oh, hello, sis. I'm going to bring this Katie back to life. Hmm? I says I'm going to launder this lid, this straw hat. I'm going to clean it. How? Huh? Hmm? You says, how am I going to clean it?
5: I know it. Well,
4: that, sis, is a moot point.
5: Oh. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you know
4: what a moot point is?
5: Sure I do, I bet you. My uncle has a moot, and it's a pointer.
4: That's a mutt, not a moot. You better run along now, sis. In a few minutes, I'm going to be deep in the heart of skimmer scraping.
5: Can we talk business a minute, mister?
4: Oh, business, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as the furnace says, when the guy walks up with a nasty look, something tells me I'm going to be shook down again. (laughs) Well, let's get to it, sis. What's the racket?
5: I don't hear anything. No. <laughs> hmm.
4: What's your angle? What business are you referring to?
5: You mean what am I selling? Seeds. Seeds? Sure. Vegetable seeds. Spare grass seeds and radishes and cabbages and, and turnips and potatoes and marshmallows and petunias.
4: Oh, 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 oh. wait a minute. You can't eat petunias.
5: You we try any?
4: Well, no, but petunias... And are...
5: petunias and onions That's and carrots.
4: You can't plant cod liver oil, either.
5: You can as far as I'm concerned, mister. <laughs> I despise it. You want some seeds, huh?
4: No, I don't believe I'd pick. Haven't
5: you got a victory garden, mister? Haven't you?
4: <laughs> no, I, I've been thinking of starting one, but somehow look, I just...
5: Look, mister, hmm? look. How can we win this war if everybody says, Well, I've been thinking of doing something, but I never get it.
4: Well, Sis, you really got a point there. And My
5: I'm... teacher says that every single vegetable we grow means so much more food for our soldiers and sailors. She says we got to have a green land here for those boys in Iceland.
4: Well, that's a very good idea. And she I think
5: says we have an ocean between us and Australia and an ocean between us and Europe. And if we have an ocean that we can just sit around doing nothing, we better get smart.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your teacher is a very intelligent... He t-
5: says that an army travels on its stomach, and if we don't keep them full of fuel, we just don't know our groceries.
4: Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right, sis. Give me two bucks worth of seeds, and I'll get to work tomorrow. And
5: tomorrow, mister. Huh? My teacher says it's much better to get blisters on our hands than calluses on our hearts. And whether we're buying bonds or planting vegetables, there's only one thing we got to do, and that's dig, dig, dig.
4: clean anyway. Nothing I've tried seems to work. Look at it.
3: What makes it so fuzzy?
4: This brush is kind of rough on it, I guess.
3: Where'd you get that brush?
4: Well, it ain't exactly a brush. It's it's Lillian's curry (laughs) comb.
3: Now, McGee, you take that right back to the garage. I won't let anybody else use my brush and comb, and I'm sure Lillian would feel the same way about it.
4: Why won't you let anybody else use your hairbrush?
3: Well, I just don't like the idea, that's all.
4: Don't hurt your hairbrush any, just to clean a straw hat with it. Maybe it won't.
3: (laughs) McGee. (laughs) Did you use my hairbrush to scrub that awful old hat with?
4: No, not very long. It was too soft and wasn't making any impression, so I just had to throw it away.
3: Now, believe me, if we weren't going to have guests just at this minute, my fine amateur bonnet brusher, I'd I'd What would you do? Well, nothing, probably. (laughs) I can buy another hairbrush, but amusing husbands are hard to get.
6: (laughs) Come in. Hello there, kids! How are you fixed for Christmas cards? Christmas cards.
4: Aren't you jumping the gun a little, old-timer? It's eight months till next Christmas. I still got a dirty little deficit from the last one.
6: (laughs) Johnny, let's talk this over man to man.
3: You mean I'm not in on this discussion,
6: huh? You stay right here, daughter. In selling Christmas cards, it's the women that have the say-so. I'm convinced of that.
4: How long have you been selling them?
6: Uh, you're my first customer, but I'm easy convinced. Now, <laughs> look the first one of the book here. Happy, happy yuletide from Canada to the Isthmus. Geography doesn't matter when we wish you Merry Christmas. Does <laughs> that one appeal to you?
3: Now, please, Mr. Oldtimer, how can you expect anybody to get hopped up about Christmas right after Easter?
6: That reminds me. I got Easter greetings, too. Here's one that says, North or South, East or West, Easter with you is Easter at best. Only $2 a dozen engraved with your no, name and your no, home no, 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 <laughs> no.
4: We don't want any. Come back in six or seven months and we might talk business, old-timer.
6: Uh, six or seven months, eh? Yeah. I see. That'll be November. Better buy your Thanksgiving cards now and save me a trip. Here's one but that we says, don't want to. It <laughs> says white meat, dark meat all around the town. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Close the sample book and lay off, will you, old-timer? We're not in the market.
6: Why, it ain't like you, Johnny. You always was full of the holiday spirit. But if, if that's how you feel about it...
3: Why, the idea of Christmas cards at
6: this time of the year.
4: <laughs> at least you didn't try to sell us any Father's Day cards.
6: What am right here, Johnny. Father's Day. <laughs> Here's the Papa bless his heart, bone, fat, not so smart. We love him and we love... No. Are... no! Okay. <laughs>
4: Hey, Molly, I wonder if I couldn't clean this hat with just plain soap and water. Shall I soak it?
3: I would, right out the window. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, you're not any help. Now, let me see. What might do the job? Toothpaste? Lighter fluid? Ammonia? Grease. Grease. What kind? Elbow. <laughs> take more than that. I'm all out of peroxide, and it's going to take some chemical that'll bleach it yellow again.
3: Don't tell me that hat was yellow, McGee.
4: Well, it was yellow.
3: Do you mean to tell me that any hat that would wear a band with purple polka dots out in public is yellow? <laughs>
4: Look, Molly. Will you please take this thing serious? Here, I'm trying to save myself some dough.
3: You know, hello. Just... Folks. Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox.
4: Hi, Harold. Come on in and what are you sniffing that. What's that odd smell?
3: It's peroxide, Mr. Wilcox. Oh. McGee's been trying to bleach his straw hat. It's gone brunette on him.
2: <laughs> well, why don't you do what I did last year, fever What was that? Well, I took my Panama out of the closet and wore it down to the office. I didn't notice how soiled it was until people began to comment.
3: Oh, it must have been embarrassing.
2: Oh, it was. There I was dashing in and out of the office all day, dictating letters about how Johnson's glow coat was such a marvelous labor and time saver because it eliminates rubbing and buffing and dries in 20 minutes or less to a beautiful, lustrous finish. Yes, but how about the hat? What hat? Oh, 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 my Panama, yeah, yeah Well, I still hadn't noticed how bad it looked And me so sensitive to dust and dirt, too On account of selling Johnson's self-polishing glow coat so long And glowcoat coat being marvelous for soiled and dull linoleum So when I finally got through with my work Which was mostly writing an advertisement about how glow coat preserves and protects your linoleum And it's particularly important right now to conserve what you have
3: Yes, at... but the hat, the hat uh,
2: What do you mean? What did you do with your Panama hat? I sent it out and got it cleaned. (laughs) There's still a funny smell in here.
3: That, Mr. Wilcox, is McGee burning.
4: (laughs) You want me to take
2: your hat down to the cleaners on my way, Feber?
4: No, thank you.
7: (laughs) Okay, see you later.
4: If that ain't... What
3: was the matter with that? Now, when things get soiled, the logical thing to do is to get them cleaned with most people. Uh, But with you, the most logical thing to do is something fantastic. Look,
4: the people who clean hats are human beings. I'm a human being. So I can clean a hat, too.
3: I'm a human being, too. And so are the people who go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. But do I go yachting in a hog's head? Not in a pig's ear. (laughs) Come in. Oh, it's Mayor Latrivia. Come right in, Mr. Mayor.
4: Good day, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, Politico. Have a seat for your
7: Citico. (laughs) No, thank you. I merely wanted to ask you, McGee, if you would serve on a committee, of which I happen to be chairman.
3: Mr. Mayor, asking McGee to serve on a committee is like waving a blue rag at a bull.
4: You mean red, Molly. With a blue rag, nothing would happen. (laughs) Oh, I see what you mean.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What is the uh, committee, Mr. Mayor?
7: It's to organize our citizens to write more letters to their friends and relatives, sons and brothers and fathers in the Army and Navy, and give them more news from home. Why, sure, La Trivia, I'm your man. When do I start? Tomorrow morning. The committee meets in my office at the City Hall at 10.30. Well, you bet I'll be there because it's a good cause, too. Indeed it is. I was a captain in the Army during the last war, and I know how it is to get a letter from home.
3: Oh, so you were a captain in the Army.
4: An Atlas
7: man? Annapolis is a Navy school, McGee.
3: Don't they have captains in the Navy?
7: Of course, but I happen to be in the Army. What's the matter? Not smart enough to get into Annapolis? (laughs) I didn't try to get into Annapolis.
3: Why not? You might have graduated as a general.
7: They don't graduate students from Annapolis as generals, Mrs. McGee, and they don't have generals in the Navy. I thought you said you were in the Army. I was in the Army.
3: Well, then, uh, what made you think you could ever be a general in the Navy? (laughs) Uh, I
7: didn't think I could be a general in the Navy, Mrs. McGee. That was your idea.
4: Go on. She didn't even know
7: you then. (laughs) I didn't say she did. I merely said that the Army has nothing to do with Annapolis. Snobbish? Yes. No! (laughs) Not at all. Annapolis is strictly a Navy school, and I, being in the Army, could not have got a commission there. What do you want a commission for? Couldn't you live on your salary? (laughs) Yes, I could! I was merely trying to tell you that... McGee? Huh? (laughs) Were you in the Army?
3: Oh, indeed he was, Mr. Mayor. He was a private in the Engineer Corps.
7: Do you still have that old Army spirit, McGee? You bet I do, the trivia. Fine. I was a captain, and I do too.
8: Hmm? Attention! Left face! Fire!
3: Fight! Heavenly days, Mr. Mayor. You marched him right through the bay window.
7: Yes, isn't that too bad? Well, good day, Mrs. Gee. The king's men
8: sing, Hey Mabel. There's a girl who lives next door to me, who's got the bells up, 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 in a tree. They all go for her in a great big way, but she won't tumble down. So here is what they say. Hey Mabel. Hey Mabel. Hey Mabel. Hey, Mabel. Mabel. Hey! When she's walking down the street, all the boys yell mighty sweet. Hey Mabel for me, wait for me, when she wears a diamond ring, all the boys begin to sing, hey Mabel, wait for me, wait for me, she's as popular as any girl can be, she's a household name in every family, but the one she wants so bad is the guy who yells like mad, hey Mabel, Mabel, wait, wait for me, oh Mabel. Wait for me, me to me too. There ain't a fella in the neighborhood who wouldn't walk a mile to get a nod of her head or to see her smile.
9: The man she wants under the mistletoe is just a guy who does nothing but whisper low. Hey, Mabel.
8: And that's all.
3: What have you got all over your
4: hand? Huh? Oh, this? It's an Easter egg dye, Molly.
3: What on earth are you doing with
4: that now? Well, my straw hat was getting worse and worse looking and kind of streaked with pink and blue, so I tried dyeing. Look.
3: Oh, lovely. Uh (laughs) A Robin's egg blue straw hat. How ducky.
4: You think it looks too sissy to wear?
3: Well, I think it'd be all right if you carried A cane? A cane? Me? Carrying a cane? Well, if you wore that hat, you'd have to carry a cane. <laughs> or brass knuckles. Well, no. shut.
4: The men's fashion magazine's all safe.
3: Oh, heavenly days, hide that pastel atrocity,
4: McGee. What for?
3: I don't want anybody to think I'm the kind of a woman who has the kind of a husband who'd wear that kind of a hat.
4: Ah, <laughs> oh, who cares? Come in.
3: Ah, hello, Mr. Wimple.
10: Hello, Miss McGee. Hello, Mr. <laughs> Is that a new hat?
3: It's not new, no, Mr. Wimperley. It's just died.
10: Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. That's a new hat
4: you got on too,
10: ain't it, Wimp? Yes, it is, Mr. McGee. Does it seem a bit wobbly over my ears? <laughs> Well,
4: now
3: that you speak of it, Mr. Wimple, it does seem a little tippy on the temples.
10: Yes, Sweetie Face bought it that way. <laughs> she didn't take me along when she got it, and the clerk told her she could get a big one for the same price as a small one. And she didn't want him to know she'd marry a little shrimp like me.
4: Ah, <laughs> oh, she was just kidding, Wimple.
10: <laughs> she was just pulling your leg. I know. And I wish she'd stop it. It keeps coming out of joints. <laughs> does Sweetie Face pick all your clothes? No, just my pockets. I I caught her at it last week, and it made me simply furious. Uh Uh-oh,
4: I hope you didn't do anything drastic, like sticking your tongue out at her.
10: Oh, no, I just said, Sweetie Face, I said, if you don't stop treating me like this, I'm going to run away.
3: Oh, good for you, Mr. Wimple. Was she impressed?
10: Indeed she was, Mrs. McGee. Ever since then, she's been wrapping my lunch up in road mats. (laughs) I'd better be running along now. I've got to meet Sweetie Face at the Army Airport.
4: Army Airport? What you going to do out there?
10: Some officer promised to take her up in a blimp, and he said I could come along for ballast.
4: Oh, what's ballast? Oh, my gosh. Ballast, that's what they throw out if the balloon gets too heavy.
10: Is it really? Sure. Oh, good. (laughs) I'll just fool him and not get back in again. (laughs) Goodbye.
3: little man can take that treatment day after days beyond me, <clears throat> McGee. Well,
4: they say you can get used to anything in time. Though after 30 years, I still squawk about those 47 pins in a new shirt. <laughs> if I had a new shirt. But wait, wait, wait. Hey, hey, what are you doing with my hat? Oh, I'm
3: just tying a little green ribbon on it. Oh, but Molly, well, that... Wait a, a minute, it. McGee. Huh? It can't look any funnier than it does now. What do you mean? Now, where's that banana? Oh, there. And a huh? bunch of grapes. Huh? Now for a veil and a feather. Oh, no. <laughs> now wait till I try it on. There, now, how's that?
4: Oh, my gosh, that looks awful. You've got a lot of nerd kidding around with my straw hat after all the work I've been to. Take it off, Molly, take it off. Oh,
3: no, let me wear it, McGee, just mm. for a laugh. Come in. Take it, take it. Oh, Mrs. Uppington, hello, Abigail. <laughs> oh, how do
4: you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Well, if it isn't 150 pounds of sugar. <laughs> May the 5th be good to you, Uppy. <laughs>
9: you do say
11: the oddest things, really. You have such a gusty sense of humor.
3: <laughs> you mean breezy, Abigail. Uh,
11: is that the same as windy, Mrs. McGee? <laughs> just about. Well, then that's what I mean. <laughs> oh, but I have the most wonderful news for you. You ain't moving out of town. <laughs> Good heavens no, whatever gave you that idea, Mrs. McGee? Oh, I don't
4: know. I just thought quick of what was the most wonderful McGee. thing. Huh? Oh.
3: <laughs> the happy tidings,
11: Abigail. Well, I have just thought of the most marvelous idea to conserve paper. I've written the government all about it. Oh,
4: good for you, Uppy. What's the issue with the tissue? (laughs) You asking your creditors not to send you any more bills? (laughs)
11: <laughs> oh, there you go again, Mr. Oh, oh. Tell me, did you inherit your sense of humor from your grandfather? <laughs>
3: <laughs> what makes you think that,
11: Abby? <laughs> His jokes are so old. <laughs> 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 oh, but I must tell you, my dear, you know how important it is that we can serve paper. Sure, we know that, Abby. What about it? And you know that I was going to write a book about the history of wistful Mister.
3: Yes, we know that.
11: Well, I've decided not to write it. Isn't that wonderful? Think of the paper I'm saving.
4: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I've been saving him a, a lot of rubber, too, by not making any mistakes when I write a letter.
3: <laughs> I'd better explain that joke, Abigail. You see, he writes his letters in pencil.
4: Oh, he does?
3: Yeah, he always... Why, Abigail, what's the matter?
11: Oh, my dear, I, I can't contain myself a moment longer. Where did you get that delightful hat?
4: That hat? Why, that's just... McGee, a
3: little... you really like it, Abigail? Oh. It was designed especially for me. Oh,
11: well, really, it, it's the most original and charming hat I've seen this spring. Oh, my dear, I will simply not sleep a wink till I find one exactly like it. Or better yet, I shall have one made. What? And I just have time to get to my milliner's. Oh. oh, goodbye, Mrs. McGee. Yes.
3: You hear that, Molly? I certainly did, McGee. Imagine her wanting one exactly like it. Well, I've
4: been made a chump out of long enough. Come on, give me that hat.
3: No. Huh? No. If Abigail Uffington thinks this hat is cute, I'm going to wear it.
4: You're going to wear it? Okay. I'll see you later. Wait a minute, dearie. Where are you going? I'm going out and buy a felt hat. That was the last straw. <laughs>
2: No time does a woman's role in life become more clear than when a country is at war and homes are threatened, because those homes are only as strong as the women who guide and keep them. Most of us men will admit openly or secretly that no job at any time is bigger or more important than home management, especially when budgets must be watched closely, when things must be conserved and made to last. You women really have several jobs rolled into one, feeding your families the right food, making and mending clothes for those young youngsters, and certainly not the least, keeping your house clean because dirt wears things out. Those are no loafing assignments. And now, on top of those jobs, you save kitchen fats and salvage scrap materials for war production. You study first aid and enlist as air raid wardens. Yes, you are the guardians of our homes. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Glow Coat salute you, the housekeepers and homemakers
4: of America and Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment we will hear the President of the United States from the White House in Washington. With all of us anxious to do everything we can, individually and collectively, to shoulder our share of the burdens of this war... We welcome this message from our Commander in Chief.
3: We'll all be listening, Mr. President.
2: This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Stay tuned for Dragnet next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Sergeant Joe Friday and Dragnet and the 1953 episode, The Big Compulsion.
12: Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield is best for you. First cigarette with premium quality in both regular and king size. Chesterfield brings you Dragman.
13: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. Somewhere in your city, a man is endangering the lives of your fellow officers. His weapon, a ten-cent piece. Your job, get him.
12: It was Wednesday, May 6th. It
14: was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out a robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. We were on our way back from the drunk tank, and it was 8.34 a.m. when we got to the first floor. The interview room. Okay, you want to sit down, Harris?
15: Yeah. <sighs> what a head. Either one, you got an aspirin? No, I'm sorry. How about a cigarette? Yeah, here you go. Here, I'll get that for you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Boy, what a head. Like it's gonna fall off and roll around on the floor. Yeah. Last time I got this tank was in the South Pacific. Natives brewed up some stuff. Tasted like torpedo juice. Took me three days to get over that. Hey, what am I in here for? You don't remember? Oh, no, not good. A lot of fog. Seems like the last thing I remember is a lot of sirens, fire engines, cops. A lot of noise. After that, there's a big nothing. What'd I do?
16: Well, he called the police department, told them the officer had been shot trying to stop a holdup. Then he called the fire department, told them the Times building was on fire.
15: You're kidding. No, he's not. Well, I really got it this time, haven't I? Yeah, sir. you got yourself a problem. Why'd you do it? Gee, I'm trying to think. See, like the girl I was with made some remark about L.A. being a dull town. I told her she just didn't know the place. I think that's when I started calling Is this in the morning papers? I don't think so. Why? You got trouble if it is. You arrest the girl? No. Thanks for small favors. What? Either you married? he is. He'll know what I mean. I don't think my wife would be crazy about who I was out with last night. No? Yeah. Wife thinks I was at a sales meeting. Hope she doesn't find out. Hey, where was I when you picked me up?
16: Well, according to the
15: arrest report,
16: you were in a phone booth trying to have the National Guard
15: called out. I got to join something. This is the worst one I've ever pulled. Where do you live, Harris? Apartment over on 9th. Didn't they get that last night? No. All you tell the arresting officers was your name. I didn't give anybody any trouble, did I? I mean, I didn't start a fight, nothing like that, huh?
14: No. You didn't cause any trouble until they got you down here. Down
15: here? I didn't hit anybody, did I? No, you tried, but you didn't make it. Mm. You guys are detectives, aren't you? That's right. How come they send you fellas down here? I caused that much trouble? How long you been in town, Harris? Since I got out of service, I think it about six years. You said you were a salesman. Who do you work for? Connington and Michaels. How long you been with them? Since I got out, I went to work for them right after I was discharged. Ever been arrested before? No. Oh, a couple of traffic tickets, you know, nothing serious. What's all this about anyway? Well, you guys act, you're trying to prove something more than just a drunk rap. What's the pitch? Well, there's been some fellow around town who's been making calls like you made last night. He's been making a lot of them. they all been phony, but we've got to send out equipment. Well, you figure maybe it was me, it huh? Looks like it might have been. We have to check it out. No, I guess I made the ones last night. You say I did, but that's it. Hey, you mind if I take another cigarette? Yeah, here. Help yourself. So. Thanks. Here's a match. Thanks. Thanks. No, I'm sorry. You guys got the wrong fellow. No. You can check me. You'll find out you got the wrong man. Uh huh. How come this is so important? You must get a lot of phony calls. How come this is so big? A lot of reasons to make it that way. Yeah? Don't see it myself. That's times I see fire engines go out in false alarms. Doesn't look like it does any harm. Do you remember how many units were with you last night? No. Must have been a lot of them.
16: Well, 15 police cars answered
14: the officers' need help call before they could get a Code 4 out on it. There were five units of fire department equipment there.
16: I suppose that equipment had been needed someplace else on a real call.
14: Yeah. see what you mean. It's not just the equipment being out of service. Every time a unit rolls on a call, there's the chance that
15: somebody's going to get hurt. That's what you built last night. Look, I said I was sorry. Is there anything more I can tell you. Any chance of me getting an aspirin around here? There's a doctor here. All he had to do was ask for it. We'll check on our way out. All right, come on, Harris. You can go back now. Yeah. Hey, just a minute. What's the name of the friend you were out with last night? You're going to have to drag her into this? You got to check your story. I hate to have you do that. The story will stand. It isn't that. What is it, then? I told you I was married. Yeah. This gets in the papers. I'm going to have a bigger headache. Is that right? Yeah, my wife won't understand about it last night. Yeah, that's too bad, Harris. She just won't understand. That so. How's that? She's president of the Neighborhood Temperance Club.
9: 9.30
15: a.m. James
14: Harris was returned to his cell to be held to answer charges of violation of Section 4127A Municipal Code. Frank and I called the woman he'd said he was with the night before. She verified the story that he'd given us. Further investigation of Harris proved that he couldn't possibly have been the suspect we were looking for. We drove back to the office to talk with Captain Didion. For the past three weeks, both the police and fire departments had been getting a number of false calls, apparently from the same person. The officers on the complaint board told us that they had gotten so that they almost recognized the voice of the caller. They told us that it sounded like a male voice, and the caller could be middle-aged. The person had no noticeable accent or speech peculiarities. They tried to hold the suspect on the phone when they were certain that it was the same caller, but they'd been unable to do so. Most of the calls the suspect put through were of the emergency type. As a result, we had to send men and equipment to the reported scene, even though we might think that the call was a false one. The calls averaged six a week during the period the suspect had been operating. In cooperation with the members of the fire department, Frank and I were assigned to try to apprehend the person making the calls. The operation was simple. The individual would call the board, give an address that we couldn't check out, and then describe what had happened. The address given was usually a corner, so that it was impossible for us to make verifying phone calls. In each instance, as soon as the suspect would report the disturbance, he would hang up. The operation was simple and untraceable. 11.17 a.m. We finished talking with Captain Didion and left his office.
16: All right, Skipper. Check you later.
14: Boy, he's in a great mood this morning, you know. You blame him the way this thing's going. We're no nearer to breaking it. yeah. Joe, you know, it figures the guy who's doing this is going to be around to watch all the excitement. That's got to be the reason he's making the call so he can get his kicks. Yeah. Well,
16: it figures he's got to be in the crowd someplace. So? Well, let's try to get a hold of the newspaper pictures. Try to check them. Find one person who's at the scene. Might work. It's someplace to start in it. It's
14: a hot shot. I get it. Gonna have to wait. Bank robbery in progress. 11.26 a.m., we took the call car and started for the bank. Before we arrived, Control-1 put out a code 4 on the call. No further assistance needed. It was another false alarm. We completed our investigation, and on the way back to the office, we answered an ambulance follow-up call two blocks from the bank. A squad car had been on the way to answer the robbery call at the bank. It had been traveling north on Spring Street. An ambulance had been making an emergency trip to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. It had been traveling west on 7th Street. Both had been rolling code three. Neither one of them heard the siren of the other unit. Neither of them knew of the others presence. Both had hit the intersection at the same time. The police car, in an attempt to avoid the ambulance, had swerved. It had chromed off the side of the larger vehicle and then plowed through traffic and hit a traffic signal pole head on. The car had hit the pole at the seam of the left front fender and the body. The police unit had been split wide open. The officer on the passenger side of the car had been thrown against the windshield. The other one had been thrown into the steering wheel and then out of the car onto the curb 10 feet from the wrecked unit. The ambulance, after being hit, had spun across the intersection on two wheels, hit the curbing, and tipped over. Only the fact that it had hit a street light pole had stopped it from going on through the pedestrian traffic on the sidewalk. It had come to rest laying on its side at the southeast corner of the intersection. The driver of the ambulance had been thrown clear of the truck. The patient in the rear and the attendant with him had been thrown about in the interior of the unit, and when we got there, they were lying in a mass of wreckage. The intersection was covered with gasoline and oil. A traffic officer was attempting to do what he could for the survivor. Let us through here. Please, Police officers. Let All right, us sir. You'll just step back there. I'm sorry. Keep back, please. Friday and Smith, Central Robbery. Oh, I'm sorry. Jake's in traffic. Are they alive? I don't know. Both unconscious. Pretty bad. I didn't want to move them. How about an ambulance? I put the call in right away. Did you call in about this oil on the streets here? No, I didn't yet. Well, you better get a calling, don't you think? Have them worn all approaching units. Street slippery. Have them approach with caution, huh? All right. Thank you. Sure is a mess, isn't it? Doesn't look like they got much of a chance, does it? How about that ambulance? A couple of officers there now. I guess you're looking after him. Let's check the driver. How about it, Joe? Well, that ambulance better get here quick. Yeah? He isn't going to last long. <laughs> The ambulance arrived, and the injured men were removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. The police garage sent out a wrecker, and the damaged vehicles were removed. The intersection was cleaned of the gasoline and oil, and inside of an hour and a half, the corner was handling traffic as usual. The only indication of the wreck left on the scene was a broken hubcap lying in a puddle of dirty water in the gutter. Two police officers had been seriously injured in the accident. Frank and I checked the immediate neighborhood for witnesses. We found a newspaper vendor who had a stand a block from the scene. He identified himself as George Kennedy. He told us what he knew of the wreck.
17: I saw the whole thing, the whole thing. Yes, sir, if you tell us what you saw, please. Well, my stand is just up the street there. You can see it on the corner. Uh-huh. Well, I was checking stock. A lot of new magazines came in this morning. I was going through them. You know, marking them up, going through them. Yes, sir. I was just standing there, fixing up the new magazines, and all of a sudden, I heard these sirens. Sound like they are coming from all directions. I see. Then I saw that their ambulance coming down 7th Street. I stopped what I was doing to see where the ambulance was going, and then I heard the crash. Terrible. Did you see the accident, County? Well, not at first, no. I saw it right after I heard the brakes. I, I didn't really see it at first, you know, just after I heard the brakes. And then, then I looked up and saw what was happening, and I started to run down there. mm mm-hmm. Saw the cars all smashed up. Right after that, I saw you guys come up, and then the other ambulance. And that's about all. Nothing more, I can tell you, I guess. Anything I can do to help? Anything at all? No, sir. How about the officers in the car? Are they all right? I heard one of them was dead. In any truth in that? No, sir. Both of them are in pretty bad shape. Awful thing to happen. Biggest crash I ever saw. Just awful. Uh
14: Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Kennedy, for your help.
18: Oh, it wasn't anything. Glad to do what I could. Anything else I can do if you guys just let me know?
14: All right, Kennedy. Thanks very much.
18: Oh, not at all. Glad to do it.
17: Sure, terrible thing. No need for it. Such a waste. Yes, sir. If they die, it'll almost seem like they was murdered, won't it? Yes, sir. from here, it looks that way.
14: Frank and I drove back to the office. We checked with the doctor at the PNF ward at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. The doctor told us that the injured officers were still in critical condition and as yet had not regained consciousness. We checked with the complaint board, and the officer who'd answered the call about the supposed bank robbery told us that he thought that the caller was the same suspect we were looking for. With Captain Didion and Captain Hagenbaugh in communications, we worked out a plan to attempt to apprehend the caller. The next time he put in a call, the officer answering the complaint would attempt to keep him on the line with questions regarding the complaint until we could get to the vicinity and start a search for him. We would be notified by a hotshot call immediately. Two days passed without the caller making a move. On Saturday, May 8th, we got a call from Georgia Street Receiving Hospital.
16: Yeah, Doc? Uh-huh. Well, how about the families? They've been told you? Uh-huh. Well, I imagine they're pretty happy about it, huh? Yeah, well, thanks for letting us know. Right, Doc. Bye. Doc call. Yeah. Both officers are going to be okay. They're doing what they can for him. Hot
14: shot. Well, maybe we can do something for him. Suspect's on the phone now. caller had told the officer on the complaint board that he wanted to report an attempted robbery at the corner of 6th and Spring Streets. He said there was a shooting as the operator of the store involved had tried to stop the holdup man. The man on the phone had requested police assistance and the dispatching of an ambulance to the scene. The officer so far had managed to keep the caller on the phone while he let us know of the call. Another officer had called the store and verified that there was no holdup as reported. Frank and I left the office and proceeded to the area code 2. We felt that if the suspect heard the siren of a unit, it might alarm him and we'd lose him. We arrived at the corner four minutes after we'd gotten the hot shot. Frank took one side of the street and I took the other. We worked our way down 6th Street, spotting all of the stores with public telephones. It took us a little over three minutes to cover the street for one block east. We met back at the corner and started down Spring Street. As time went on, our chances of the suspect staying on the phone dwindled. Twelve minutes had passed since the suspect had placed the call. I was covering the east side of Spring Street, and I was almost to the corner of 7th when I walked into a store to check the phone booth just inside the door. The voice was familiar. It was George Kennedy, the proprietor of the corner newsstand. Huh?
18: Sure, I can see you. Oh, no, my name don't matter. All that counts is you get an ambulance here right away. If you don't, this poor man's going to bleed you dead. Well, certainly, he's right here, right in the same room. All right, come on out of there. Hey, what's this all about?
14: Come on out of that phone booth.
18: What right you got to tell me what to do?
14: No, don't hang up that phone, Kennedy.
18: You got no business breaking into my phone call.
14: All right, you come out of that booth, will you, right now? i stand right there. Hello? Yeah, no, this is Friday. Yeah, we got him. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, as soon as I pick up Smith, we'll be right in. Hold <laughs> it
18: up, Kennedy! Stop that man! Hey, stop him! You all right, mister? Yeah, did you see where that old man went? No. Sorry, mister. he ran into the crowd over there. I wasn't watching him. I thought sure you were going to get hit by that car. Hey, Joe. What are you doing out in the middle of the street?
14: Well, I had him. It's George Kennedy, the guy with the newsstand. You
16: mean the guy we talked to the
14: other day? That's right. Well, at least we know who we're after. That's a help. Yeah, maybe. We got to get him fast now. Yeah? He knows we're after him. We went back to our unit and got out a broadcast on George Kennedy. After that, we checked the immediate neighborhood, but we were unable to find the suspect. We checked at his newsstand, but the people in the surrounding stores were unable to give us the exact address where he lived. We arranged for a stakeout on the newsstand, then we went back to the city hall and called the city clerk. We asked him to check the records for the license issued to Kennedy. The clerk's office told us they would check their files immediately and call us back. We ran the name George Kennedy through r but he had no previous criminal record. We checked with Captain Didion while we waited for the call back from the city clerk's office. I got it. Bobby Friday. Yeah? Who? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hello? That's all we need. What is it? That was Kennedy. Says he knows we want him, and he said we better forget all about it, that we'll never get him. Yeah? Says we might as well give up.
12: You are listening to Dragnet the authentic story of your police force in action.
14: A local broadcast was gotten out on Kennedy. The city clerk called back and gave us the home address listed on his application for a vendor's license. We checked out the address, a rooming house on 9th Street, and the landlady told us that Kennedy was not at home, that she hadn't seen him all day. She was able to give us the address of his sister... And after Frank and I arranged for a steak out on the rooming house, we drove over to see the sister. She lived in a small frame house in the Hollywood area.
19: I suppose I knew that it had to happen. I guess there wasn't any way to avoid it. Ma'am? About George. He's sick. I guess you know that.
14: Yes, ma'am. Have you ever spent any time in an institution of any sort? Would
19: you know? No. There were times when I thought about it. We used to talk, try to figure out what was the best thing. Somehow we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it, to commit him.
16: You say we, ma'am. Who do you mean?
19: Oh, me and Harold. Harold's my brother. He's the baby of the family. What the doctor said, I guess, in a way, Harold's the cause of the whole thing. Way back, I mean.
14: Ma'am.
19: Well, I can't deny it. We talked to doctors about George, you know, psychologists. Yes, ma'am. He said that George had a compulsion complex. It came from when he was a little boy. That he resented the attention that the folks showed Harold. It's unfortunate. Harold was sickly when he was little and he needed more attention guess George didn't understand. Mm Mm-hmm.
14: You have any idea where he might be now, ma'am?
19: No, you tried the place over on 9th. That's where he lives.
14: Yes, Miss Carroll, we checked the place. Landlady said she hadn't seen your brother all day.
19: Oh, if he's not there, I don't know where he could be. No, I wouldn't have the slightest idea.
14: Could you tell us if your brother had any close friends in the city, anyone he might go to?
19: None at all. I'm sorry, I can't be of more help.
14: Well, do you have a recent picture of your brother, ma'am?
19: Yes, I think I can find one for you. Why do you want it?
14: We needed to find him, Miss Carroll.
19: Oh, well, I have one that was taken this year at George's birthday party. I took it with one of those cameras that develop right away, you know. Yes, ma'am.
14: Wonder if you'd be kind enough to get it for us. Surely please.
19: I think it's in the desk. I'll get it for you. Thank you. Oh, excuse me a minute. Surely. Hello? Oh yes. What? Uh huh, they're here now. I don't know what to think. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know, but it's too late for that. Now, the important thing is to find him before he does something more. Yeah. Well, I'll call you back. I don't want to keep the officers waiting. All right, bye. That was Harold. He heard about George. Mm-hmm. It's
16: possible your brother might go over to his place?
19: No, well, that's the last place he'd go.
14: What if you could give us his address, please?
19: I'm sure, I can give it to you. I know that George wouldn't go there, though.
14: Why are you so sure, ma'am?
19: I told you about the birthday party. Well... George and Harold were there, just a family sort of thing. At least it started out that way. The way it finished was awful. George and Harold got into a big fight. They were always arguing. Uh, What if you'd get that picture for us now, Miss Carol? Oh, yes, right away. It's here someplace. Harold just said that we should have put George in an institution a long time ago. Should have had him helped. I guess he's right. I guess it's all my fault.
16: Why do you say that, ma'am?
19: Well, it was me that didn't want George committed. I was the one who fought against it. I was so sure that everything would work out all right. Oh, here it is. Yes, ma'am. That's George. he got a paper hat on. He come out of one of those little snapper things. George liked things like that, kid things. I guess he never grew up. Yes, ma'am. I always lived in a dream world made it up himself, thought that everybody was persecuting him, that people were after him. It's so silly it wasn't true. I'm afraid it is, ma'am. What? We're after him.
14: We got the address of George Kennedy's brother, and Frank and I drove over to talk to him. He told us that he didn't have the slightest idea where his brother might be. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout on homes of the sister and the brother in the event that Kennedy might try to contact them. 6.30 6.30 p.m., we met with Captain Didion and a psychiatrist from Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Psychiatrists said that after hearing our report on Kennedy's actions, that he might have a strong compulsion complex. And as a result of events that morning, he could have a violent resentment of any type of authority. Two days passed. We got more leads and we ran them down. They went no place. Tuesday, May 11th, 12.51 a.m. I get it. Robbery Friday. Yes, ma'am. Now, uh, well, when was that? Yeah. All right, Miss Carroll, we'll take care of it. Yes, ma'am. By the way, thank you. It's Kennedy's sister says he just called her. Yeah? Said he was over by Westlake Park, that he was going to commit suicide. 102 a.m. We called the complaint board and told them what had happened. They contacted all available units and asked them to proceed to Westlake Park Code 2. Frank and I drove to the area. By the time we got there, several units had responded to the call. As yet, none of them had seen Kennedy. From the bridge on Wilshire, two men had been watching the lake, and up to the time we got there, they'd seen no activity on the surface of the water. 1.30 a.m., Frank and I started to go through the park. A heavy fog had risen from the lake, and visibility was dropping fast.
13: you
16: see
14: anything? No. Now, let's head down toward the lake, huh? Yeah. This way. See, it's getting cold. I should have worn a heavier coat. Hold on a minute. See him? Yeah. Just sitting there. Doesn't see us. Huh? All right. You take him from that side. I'll go this way. Watch it. All right.
18: I know you're there. Who is it? I got a gun. I am coming any closer and I'm going to shoot. I can see you, you know. I can see you. You get away from here. You get away right now or I'm going to shoot. All right. I warned you. Put that gun down, Kennedy. Yeah, I knew you were there. I knew it. You thought you could sneak up on me and get me and I wouldn't know it. Huh? That's what you thought, ain't it? Huh? Ain't it?
14: Nobody's trying to sneak up on you, Kennedy. Nobody's trying to hurt you.
18: Yeah, that's what you say, but I know different. I know. Who are you? Come on, I know anyway, so you might as well tell me. Who are you?
14: You know who I am, George. Joe Friday. I'm your friend. Now, you know that, don't you?
18: Ain't anybody that's my friend. Ain't anybody. Nobody I can trust. Why should I trust you? Come on, tell me. Why shouldn't I trust you? You're a cop, ain't you? Ain't you?
14: You know that, George. We met before. You know I'm your friend, too, don't you?
18: No, you ain't. You ain't, my friend. You want to take me away and lock me up.
14: It's not true, George. I just want to talk to you. Just sit and talk, that's all.
18: You stay away from me. I'm not going to tell you again. I don't want you near me. Now, take it easy, George. No, you ain't going to get me. I'm going to get away from you. waste from all of you. All right, wait a minute. Yeah. I know all about you. I know you ain't going to get me. <laughs> hey, I can't swim. Somebody help
14: me. No. All right, Kennedy, take it easy. All right, come on now. You're all right. You're all right. Come on. Come on, get up here. you're all right
18: now. Uh, Anybody would understand. Ain't anybody. You okay, Joe? Yeah.
17: I'll shake him. He's clean. I
18: couldn't, couldn't even get a gun. Couldn't even get a gun. Never could do anything right. Just nothing ever went right. Wasn't anybody that understood. Nobody that knew what I wanted. Nobody cared about me. Nobody cared.
14: You're wrong about that. Huh? We do.
13: The story you've just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On September 21st, trial was held in
12: Department 97, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb.
14: Thank you, George Fenneman. I sure hope you were listening real close to what George Feneman had to say tonight because it proves what I always tell you. You can't beat the premium quality you get in Chesterfield, regular or king-size. I'd like you to try, Chesterfields. They're much milder, and they have a wonderful taste.
12: The case of George Hoyt Kennedy was referred to the city attorney. Due to the mental condition of the suspect, the case was then referred to the psychopathic detail at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. After due process in Superior Court, the suspect was committed to a mental institution for treatment.
13: Ladies and gentlemen, we wish to thank the editors and readers of TV Radio Mirror Magazine for their awards to Dragnet, their sixth annual award issue now on sale at your newsstand.
12: You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police W. H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors: Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Ellis, Ralph Moody. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking.
13: For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield's. Either regular or king size, you'll find premium quality Chesterfield much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet
12: transcribed from Los Angeles.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Life with Luigi, followed by the Screen Guild Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced
0: and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.